Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We are currently in the series, Life First. We hope it's a blessing to you. There's a rich history in the church of turning to Scripture to define and guide our faith and our beliefs. A very rich history within the church at large of really digging into Scripture. And these words that have just been sung for us are from an ancient creed given approximately 1,600 years ago. And here's what these words do. They have encouraged and they have inspired the church for many years. Deep words, beautiful words. And I'm thankful for our artists sharing them with us. I want to welcome you back to Life Verse. We started this series last week, and the challenge is for all of us. No matter how young we are, no matter how old we are, no matter what's happening in life, to pick a verse or two for 2017 to serve as our blueprint, to serve as our foundation, because we have no idea what we're going to encounter. We have no idea what's going to happen in 2017. There will be some successes. There will probably be some losses as well, and a lot of stuff in between. And I think it is so beneficial for us to dig into Scripture, to search and to find a verse or two that, again, can serve as an anchor, something to center us, something to provide that blueprint for living. And so I'm excited that you're here today as we continue our series. And here's what I want to do. I want to present an apologetic of Scripture today. I'm going to define that word a bit more in just a moment, but it basically means a defense of. So I want to think through a defense of Scripture, a defense of the Bible. It's interesting because the Bible is probably the most attacked piece of literature in history. I don't even know if there's a close second. The Bible is an attacked piece of literature, which is unfortunate because there are compelling lines of evidence for its veracity. I believe that the Bible is trustworthy. I believe that the Bible is reliable, and I say that based on my own research and my own study. That's my belief. I don't say that because somebody told me to say that. I don't say that just because the organization I work for believes that. I don't say that because it's a popular and trendy thing to believe. The truth is it's not popular and trendy to believe that the Bible is trustworthy and reliable. And so these are all things that I want to think through today. Now, in the spirit of full disclosure, not everyone here is going to agree with what we share. And that's okay. This is why we come together to learn and to discover and to challenge each other. And I've had wonderful conversations with many of you about your own doubts about the reliability and the trustworthiness of Scripture. And I love those conversations. I really do. Because it helps me to know that you're thinking and you're not just accepting what somebody says, which we shouldn't do. We need to search this out for ourselves. And so I hope that today is informative and interesting for you as you continue the process of really thinking through 
what God's word means to you and for you. If you're newer to Valley Point and you're not sure about the Bible or God or Jesus or any of this type of stuff, I think you've chosen a great day to be here. And I want to say welcome to you. And I'm glad that you're here. And I want you to know that Valley Point is a safe place for you to investigate, for you to question, for you to be a skeptic. Again, we're all here learning together. So I think you've chosen a great Sunday. Here's how today is going to work. I'm going to share a video with you that gives an overview of a defense of Scripture. And then after that, Sherry Kelly and Tanya Kohler are going to join me on the stage. And I've asked them to research some different things regarding defending Scripture. And they've done a great job. And I think you're really going to enjoy what they have to share. It will be challenging for us. And then after that, we'll roll out some takeaways. And all of this is building to challenging everybody here to pick a verse or two to provide that blueprint for our lives. So does that make sense where we're headed? Great. Let's watch this. One of the fascinating aspects of Christianity is the Bible, the Word of God. This collection of books, 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books, is remarkably unique and more, so much more, than just good advice and pithy statements. They are the words of God. And they're challenging, often disturbing, but arguably... It was the greatest piece of literature ever. There's poetry, prophecy, biography, war, sex, betrayal. The Bible has all of the ingredients of great literature. The Bible is very unique, which allows it to stand alone. And I think we owe it to ourselves to pick up this book to read and investigate. I want to present an apologetic for the Bible, the Word of God. Apologetics is the discipline of justifying your beliefs comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to speak in defense of. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. The word explain in 1 Peter 3.15 is the word apologia, a defense. In a very real way, we can and should be ready to defend what we believe. So, a defense of the Bible. When it comes to the Bible, this is probably one of the most attacked pieces of literature. It's worth noting that defending the Bible is about defending the truth God has given to people, not about defending a religious book. I believe that God has provided an ample amount of evidence both inside and outside the Bible to prove that his words are true. So can we trust the word of God? Does scripture have objective factual meaning? Is the Bible just a book full of errors? Do we have the whole Bible with the 66 books? Are we sure this isn't just a book filled with stories that are hard to believe? These are great questions. Two introductory thoughts. One deals with the wrong assumption that many people have about the Bible. The second deals with the Bible being nothing more than a propaganda book. Let's consider the wrong assumption. Many assume that because the Bible is so old, it can't be true. It's just an old book, outdated, and an enlightened culture can do better. It's old and can't be true. Here's a question, though. Does age automatically make something inaccurate or false? No. It also doesn't mean it's necessarily true, either. 
It's the testimony of history that makes the difference and brings clarity. And this is where the Bible makes a strong case for truth because it presents compelling lines of evidence. What about the Bible being nothing more than propaganda? Well, if that were true, it would seem strange and not very effective for the Bible to include both the good and the bad. The Bible does contain good news. It's the ultimate good news. But it also tells the truth about people and their shortcomings. The leading characters in Scripture were often troubled and certainly had many faults and sins. The Bible does not hide this. Propaganda leaves out the bad. The Bible actually includes it. Here's what we have with the Bible. Forty authors of different walks of life writing over a 1,500-year period produced 66 books with one unified message, a message of God's love. The unified theme that runs through the Bible is quite remarkable. Let's answer the big question. Can we really trust the Bible? I believe we can, and here's why. Let's start with the Old Testament. The strength of the Old Testament is its accuracy. By historical standards, the Old Testament is very accurate. 39 Old Testament books were written and compiled by Jews and copied by scribes. This process was done with the utmost of care and respect. The Jewish people were meticulous about the accurate preservation of their scripture. It was very important to them. These scribes would count the letters on each page, forward and backward, on the master copy and the new edition to ensure that nothing was added or omitted. Yet many critics of scripture would say that through the years, the Bible has been altered corrupted. And because of that, it's unreliable. Something special happened, though, in 1947 that many have considered the greatest archaeological find of all time. So what happened in 1947? On a valley west of the Dead Sea, a shepherd boy stumbled upon a group of caves housing several clay jars. These clay jars contained ancient documents, now known as the Dead Sea Scrolls, which dated from about 150 BC to 70 AD. What's the big deal about these scrolls? Well, they contain copies of every Old Testament book except Esther. These scrolls were the writings of scholarly Jews who probably hid these documents from enemies. As these documents were carefully investigated, scientists were amazed to find that not a single word, not even a single punctuation mark, had been changed. The strength of the Old Testament is its accuracy And the Dead Sea Scrolls validated that accuracy. It's incredible. What about the New Testament? Well, the strength of the New Testament can be found in its quantity. What does that mean? An amazing number of copies have been discovered of the New Testament. These ancient texts number around 30,000. For comparison, Homer's Iliad exists in more than 600 copies. It's interesting that the Iliad is rarely questioned And yet, from a manuscript copy standpoint, it doesn't even come close to comparing to the quantity of the New Testament. F.F. Bruce, an English scholar, said this, The evidence for our New Testament writings is ever so much greater than the evidence for many writings of classical authors, the authenticity of which no one dreams of questioning. If the New Testament had been a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt. That's quite a statement. There are compelling lines of evidence that what we hold in our hands is exactly what God wants us to have. 
Truth is, the Bible is the most accurately preserved book in history. Can we trust it? Yes. One more area of defense. What about the missing books of the Bible? I'm often asked this question. Other books were written and have become known as apocryphal writings. That word means hidden. So these are the hidden writings not included in the 66 books of the Bible. Why would these writings that some traditions include in their Bible not be considered inspired by God? Well, unlike the actual 66 books of the Bible, no apocryphal writings claim to have been written by a prophet for Old Testament books or by one of Christ's original apostles for New Testament books. A second reason is that New Testament books include quotes from all Old Testament books, but never quotes from these hidden writings except in one instance. Finally, Jesus never quoted from any of the apocryphal books. It's also noteworthy that few early church leaders and historians reference the apocryphal writings. It is commonly claimed in skeptical circles that there was much confusion and little agreement in the early church about the books that were authoritative, and that the choice of books in today's Bible was nothing more than a power play by certain people who wanted to protect their positions of influence. The truth is, there was agreement in the early church about which books were authoritative, and we can be confident that Scripture is complete, and what we have today is what God wants us to have. Here's something else to consider. Perhaps the main reason we can trust the Bible is that the only man who ever rose from the dead, the only man to defeat death, affirmed it. Jesus affirmed the Old Testament and made provision for the New Testament. In addition to that, there are other reasons to trust the Bible. Fulfilled prophecy that are specific and verifiable, historical accuracy, scientific accuracy, its indestructibility, its unique structure, its universal influence, and its life-changing impact all point to God's Word being beyond compare. Is the Bible from God? While that takes faith to believe, I would argue it takes greater faith to believe the Bible is not from God. All of Scripture was given to us for a reason. It is here to point us to God and to His Son, Jesus. It is a book that shares the story of redemption, of being reunited with God. And I believe we owe it to ourselves to pick up this book and discover. Okay, will you help me welcome Sherry and Tanya? Great to have both of you here. And again, I asked them to research a couple of different things that they're going to describe for you in just a moment. Before we get to that, though, I want to share our big idea for today. So take out your talk notes and a writing utensil. You've got a couple of blanks here. Our big idea is the Bible matters and can be trusted. And I want to get into the how of that a little bit today. The Bible matters, and it can be trusted. All right, so both of you have done some research, and I'm thankful for that. It's great to have you on the stage again. Tanya, I talked to you about looking into fulfilled prophecy and how we find these prophecies, these predictions in Scripture, and we find their answers or what happens with that prediction And I think that really gives us some strong evidence for Scripture being truthful. And Sherry, talk to you about apparent discrepancies and contradictions in Scripture 
And what does that mean when we come across a discrepancy, something that seems to be out of sync? So, Sherry, let's start with you. There are apparent contradictions, and I think that's fair for everybody to know. There's contradictions in Scripture. And what will happen is critics will often point to that and say, because there is a contradiction, because it doesn't match and sync, this means that the Bible is not trustworthy. So you started your research, I know, by asking a lot of great questions like this one. How important is it that the Bible is internally consistent? Right. So talk to us about that. Okay. Well, I think that um, at first it might seem tempting to say uh, it really doesn't matter. That's not really what's important. Uh, other major world religions do not depend on historical accuracy or even on their founders at all. Buddhism, for example, is not dependent on the historic Buddha, but on a set of ideas, just as Islam is not dependent on the historical figure of Muhammad. But our faith is directly dependent on the historical person of Jesus with whom we continue to interact. So it does matter to us whether the Bible is true, whether it has mistakes or inconsistencies, because that's where we get our information about the person of Christ, on whom our entire faith rests. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is useless, and your faith is for nothing. The Bible is not just a collection of timeless truths and ideas about religion. It's a story about who God really is, how he really has interacted with people throughout history, and how we can really interact with him today. Mm. It's an alarming verse, isn't it? Like <laughs> it if, is. If, if Christ hasn't done this, then like everything we're thinking about is useless. And I love how you talk about the Bible being a story of God interacting with people but it's also us having the opportunity through his revealed word to interact with him. It's just some incredible thoughts there. You know, a lot of people who complain about contradictions in the Bible haven't actually read those verses for themselves and tried to understand them, which is kind of like criticizing a movie you haven't watched. Yeah, right, which is not, not a wise thing to do. All right, so there are apparent contradictions, and we don't have time to go into each and every one of them, but you specifically looked at a couple. Share them with us, please. Well, numbers uh, is a great place to start, uh, because there are different numbers listed in different places of the Bible, or uh, different names of towns, or different names for what seem to be the same person. And all these types of differences are really only problematic on the surface, In ancient writing, um, numbers are often used symbolically. Mm. It doesn't mean it's not real people at a real event. It's not a parable. But the numbers were used to convey a deeper meaning. Ancient writers also use estimates, which would vary by author. Mm. Um, Do we really think that there were exactly 10,000 people there? Well, no. We still don't think that today. When we use round numbers to describe events, we say, oh, there were 200 people there. We don't say, well, at noon there were 219 people, but then some left early and uh, some came late, and so then by 2 o'clock there were 209 people. Well, which is true? Mm -hmm. And who were they counting? 
Was it members only, or did that number include guests and children? Uh, it's interesting because often when you're reading the accounts of crowds gathering, sometimes it'll give a number, but then it'll provide some commentary to say, well, that number may only be the men who are counted right. and not women and children. So you have to be careful with numbers. Talk to us about towns and cities, because that's kind of fascinating, too. Yeah, place names often depend on who is speaking. Uh, so, for example, for us, do we live in America, or do we live in Etats-Unis? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. In some cases, a place name actually referred to a settlement of people mm. who were partly nomadic and would migrate from time to time. Yeah. Okay, that's one contradiction. Another one really goes to the heart of the Gospels that share the life and the story of Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they talk to us about Christ and his life, and there are some apparent contradictions there, so share that with us. Well, none of the four Gospels has the exact same timeline, although none of them claim to be an exact chronology. Um, They all share the same stories, but they have slightly different versions um, of events. For example, uh, Easter morning at the tomb, was there one woman or two? Hmm. Matthew names two women. John only names one. But in John, that one named woman says we, indicating that she was not alone. Or in Mark, Mark says that Jesus was crucified at the third hour of the day. John says that at the sixth hour of the day, Jesus was still being judged by Pilate. So is Mark correct or is John correct? Again, the answer is yes. We know from the context of their Gospels that Mark is using Hebrew time, whereas John is using Roman time. A lot of times when we're approaching the Scriptures, particularly the Gospel, instead of running into one of these difficulties and immediately saying, oh, this must be a mistake, it's good for us to say to ourselves, could this be intentional? Did God include these different perspectives on purpose to give us more information? Yeah, and this is the beauty and the fun of diving in and discovering and studying and using our minds and looking into culture and history and context because this is what you begin to pull out, especially with these apparent contradictions. So is it fair to say as you've done your research on these different contradictions, that there are logical explanations. Yes. It takes some work sometimes to find them and to understand and to see where the authors are coming from and conveying Mm -hmm. what they choose to convey. Um, But when we run into these kinds of difficulties, it might be helpful for us to keep in mind the words of St. Augustine. Mm -hmm. He wrote... If we are perplexed by any apparent contradiction in scripture, it is not allowable to say the author of this book is mistaken, but either the manuscript is faulty, or the translation is wrong, or you have not understood. Thanks, Sherry. Appreciate you diving into that and thinking through those different things, and feel free to have good conversations with Sherry about some of these different contradictions, these apparent contradictions in scripture. Again, I think when you walk through that and you begin to research and study, there's logical explanations for some of these discrepancies. Okay, Tanya, I gave you the assignment of looking at fulfilled prophecies or the predictions. 
And one would think that this might be an area where the Bible could get into a, a lot of trouble because the unique thing about prophecies is that they should be specific and verifiable. So they're, they're not too broad, like anybody could have guessed that. They're specific with, with language and, and time and such, and then they can be verified. So did it happen or not? So talk to us a little bit about your research of these fulfilled prophecies and how that helps us when we identify them and when we see them really trust Scripture. Well, I believe that uh, fulfilled prophecy uh, really helps us um, understand. And uh, fulfilled prophecy is just a great argument for the Bible being trustworthy. Uh, when we think about fulfilled prophecy, it shows a divine plan. It shows intellectual design. Um, in the Bible, there are at least 39 different messianic prophecies. Uh, some scholars believe there may be as many as 61 different messianic prophecies. Uh, a messianic prophecy was a prophecy that was given about Jesus in the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament, that prophecy was fulfilled. Um, the person who gave the prophecy was a prophet, and uh, this was considered a high calling. They were God's messenger. And uh, they didn't just make any kind of prediction. They were very careful with their predictions. And in Deuteronomy 18.20, it says that if a prophet's predictions did not come true, that they were stoned. So prophets didn't just walk around saying whatever. They were very careful with what they had to say. Yeah, they, they couldn't be carefree because it could involve their life. It was pretty serious. And uh, the prophecies that are given, there were messianic prophecies, but there are also hundreds and hundreds of other prophecies. And of all the prophecies that were given, none were known to ever have been wrong, which is just remarkable to think about. Mm. Okay, so Sherry looked at these apparent discrepancies, and we don't, didn't have time, obviously, to go into all of them. We're not going to walk through these 30 to 60 different messianic promises about Jesus, but you looked at two specifically that are somewhat unique. So share one of those with us. Well, we just walked through the Christmas season, so we have all been reminded once again that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. This is a messianic prophecy. Mm. Micah 5.2 tells us that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And then when we jump ahead to the New Testament... Uh, we see the answer. But let me read to you Micah 5 2. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, are only a small village in Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. And then in Luke 2 uh, 4 through 7, we see this fulfilled. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. Yeah, and, and her baby is Jesus and talking about Mary there. So, yeah, what's interesting about that prophecy is that Micah gave that 700 years before the birth of Christ. It's just fascinating. Okay, that's one fulfilled prophecy. Share another one about the life of Christ. Well, in Psalms, there is the Messianic prophecy in Psalm 41.9. It 
that Jesus would be betrayed by a friend. It says, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. And then in Luke 22, 47 and 48, we see this prophecy fulfilled in Judas. Yeah, who ate with Jesus and, and would have been considered a friend. Okay, specific and verifiable. Here's where Jesus would be born. That's either going to happen or not, and it did. Again, speaks to the truthfulness and reliability of Scripture. And Jesus would be betrayed by a friend, someone who he would eat with, and that was given hundreds of years before we see the story of Jesus being betrayed by Judas. So it's, again, specific and verifiable. Again, it just speaks to the reliability of Scripture. Uh, at Just For You, at the table out in the lobby, we've actually put together a chart of these different fulfilled prophecies. So if you're looking for something to do this afternoon, the Eagles aren't playing, so you've got nothing to watch, uh, grab that sheet. And again, I think it'll be something that'll kind of encourage you that here's a specific prophecy about Christ. Again, there's more that don't deal specifically with the Messiah, but this sheet lists all of those, and I would encourage you to grab that just for you. In your reading, you came across an interesting illustration. Share that. So Peter Stone, who was a mathematician and author, wrote in his book, Science Speaks, about the probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the Messianic prophecies. Once again, there's at least 39. So if we look at just eight, the probability of that, where they are given in the prophet's lifetime, and then fulfilled later in Jesus' lifetime. He says the probability is 1 in 10 to the 17th power, which is a one with a crazy amount of zeros, <laughs> which I don't know if that means a lot to most of us in this room, but he goes on and gives this illustration. If we were to take the state of Texas and cover the face of the state of Texas with silver dollars, two feet deep, then we were to take one of those silver dollars and mark that coin. Then we were to take a man and blindfold him and ask him to find that one marked coin. That is the probability of just eight of these messianic prophecies mm. being fulfilled. It's crazy when we think about it because Jesus fulfilled at least 39. I think when you jump in and you look at this, our Bible is trustworthy. Um, it, it has divine plan <laughs> there's intellectual design we mm. can trust what we have in our hands yeah it's fascinating so either jesus was just really lucky or there's something more to him and again this speaks to what was said about him and what he actually fulfilled i, I know the three of us have discussed this i have shared it in the video i think i've said it here before we owe it to ourselves to pick up the Bible and read, even if we're not fully convinced. I'd encourage you to pick it up and just read it as great literature because that's actually what it is. It contains all of the elements of wonderful literature. And so even if you're not convinced, pick it up. We owe it to ourselves to do that. And I think as we walk through the process of digging and, and searching and, and finding verses and looking at all these dramatic stories and these different things that we've discussed as we engage our minds. I think God really has the ability to speak into our hearts and to change us through his word. So 
I want to get to our takeaways now, and I would encourage you to think through what do we walk away from today attempting to do. And again, my hope has been that you're challenged a little bit, that your mind is stirred, and that everybody will take it upon themselves to say, you know what, I am going to look and I'm going to search. I'm going to do my very best to pick a couple of verses to use as a blueprint for my life. So Sherry, give us our first takeaway, please. Well, you already said it. It's search. If reading the Bible on a regular basis is not something that you already do, I would encourage you to challenge yourself in this new year season to make that part of your regular life. Mm. Um, Not just to find a life verse that you can hang on to and lean on this year, but also to start putting together some of these pieces and understanding what message, what the message of the Bible is that God is wanting to convey to us. Um, One thing that's really going to help you a lot is getting a good study Bible. Mm. Um, A great option is the Life Application Study Bible in the New Living Translation, which is the translation we primarily Mm -hmm. use here at Valley Point. Um, It's going to have lots of little footnotes and um, commentary. So like the... um, about Mark using Hebrew time and John using Roman time, that's going to be in the footnotes of a good study Bible to help understand some of those things. Another great Bible, which is a great for anyone, um, but also a very easy to understand sort of entry-level study Bible, is the Quest Study Bible. It actually has questions and answers written into the margins of every single page. Yeah, which is, which is great. Tools help. And certainly when you grab a good study Bible, like the Life Application Bible, which I have one of those, it's so helpful when you read because you can grab those side notes and it just makes stuff pop and and come to life, which is wonderful. So yes, get a good study Bible. I'm all about reading the Bible on your phone, but I love an actual book and I think that's helpful. So um, get a good study Bible. It's great. All right, Tanya, share our final takeaway. So the final is pick a verse. So if uh, searching in the Bible is a little overwhelming for you, and this just seems like a huge task, um, we really still want you to just pick a verse. So I'm going to share a helpful hint that my eighth grade daughter Kaylee shared with me this week on how to pick a life verse very simply. So if you will take out your phones, you might have them hidden right now, but you can take out your phone. If you take out your phone and Google a book of the Bible, Proverbs is a great book of the Bible to Google. A lot of wisdom in Proverbs. So Google the book of the Bible, Proverbs, and then click on images. If you click on images and then scroll down, you will find verses that have a great background, that are written really nicely, And you can use those verses to pick a life verse. Um, Then you can take that little image that you find and you can make it the background on your phone. And we all look at our phones more than what we should. So this would be a great way to have our life verse right in front of us several times a day. 
Um, if this is a little overwhelming to figure out how to get the life verse as the background on your phone, there are many middle school and high school students <laughs> here at Valley <laughs> Church. You know where this is going. <laughs> they can help you do this in one minute flat. So yeah. just pick a verse. That's great. I know I have a friend here who a couple of years ago during the Life Verse series, one of the things that he did is he got his Life Verse and then he set up an email to himself every day. And so the first thing that he would do in the morning when he got to his office is he would open up his email and there sitting for him was his Life Verse. And so that's the way, one of the ways he got that verse in front of him every single day. So. Whatever you have to do to search and pick, this is the challenge. And look, we're all different people. You have your preferences for how you like to study, what you do, what works for you, what doesn't. Just dive in, search, whatever that looks like, and then go through the process of picking a verse that just kind of jumps into your heart. Last week, I talked about should be something meaningful and memorable to you, should invoke emotion, And so when you're reading, if something jumps out at you and it does that, it makes you cry or laugh or whatever it might be, that very well could be something that could be your blueprint life verse for 2017. So chase that. One of the other things that's available at Just For You is a helpful list of life verses. It's kind of intimidating thinking about opening up a Bible and where do I begin? How do I start this process? If that seems a little overwhelming to you, then I would just encourage you to go to Just For You. You can pick up the Messianic prophecies about Jesus, where they're given and where it's fulfilled. There's also a sheet there that will list many helpful verses. There's probably something on that sheet that will jump into your mind as something that will be very good for you this year. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going to happen next Sunday. As you're searching and you're picking your verse or verses... Next week, we're going to come back, and I'm going to interview a few different people, and they're going to share their life verse or verses with you, and so I think you're going to enjoy hearing from them, and then we're going to wrap that up and have a time where we all have the opportunity, if we want to, if not, that's okay, but if we want to, we're going to have the opportunity to write down our verse and our name, the reference, or maybe the whole verse, depending on how long it may be, on these frames that are on either side of the stage. This is our life verse imaging for the year. It's a blueprint of our future real home. We thought that was really appropriate for the journey that we're taking this year. And so we'll have the opportunity within the service. We're going to carve out some time to give everybody the chance to do that during a quiet moment. And this is one of my favorite services of the year. So if you've never experienced it before, please come back next week and watch people commit to their life verses. We're going to have a lot of fun. So your homework Is it clear? you got to pick and search and land on a verse or two. And please, come back next week to hear from some different individuals, and we'll commit to our verses. Does that make sense? All right. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for today and, and just the opportunity to think through the value of Scripture and how important it is and how we can even defend it. I do believe the Bible is attacked. And and that's unfortunate because there's just compelling lines of evidence there, both internally and externally, that point to this being the words of God and something that you have given to us. And I believe we can be very confident, very confident that what we hold in our hands today is exactly what you want us to have. It's accurate and reliable. And 
So God, I, I pray, even, even if we're still wrestling with that and we're not sure, everybody's got to come to their own conclusion on that. I pray that you'd help us all to engage our minds and to study. And if we're skeptical or we still have some unbelief, God, I pray that you'd help us to do the hard work of searching and studying. God, for everybody else, uh, help us to dive in this week and really enjoy looking for a verse or two. And God, I pray that as your church spends time in your word this week, I pray that as that happens, that, boy, we would really be encouraged and that you would speak to us and that you would change us and that we would be very aware of who you are and your love for us and your plan. So give us a great week, I do pray. No matter how we feel about this, give us just a great week of digging and searching and finding a verse. And God, I know that as we spend time in your word, you will bless us and encourage us and meet us there. It's a great opportunity for us to interact with you and for you to interact with us. So give us a great week of doing this. I do pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com and click online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Please reach out to us at prayer at valleypointchurch.com.